This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. We're excited today to be kicking off this new series called The Seven. Over the next seven weeks, we're going to tackle what I'm calling seven core values of Courageous Church. Seven core values and practices that make us who we are as a people. We're going to talk about how we actually put into practice what we believe and what we value most. And I believe what we believe informs what we value. And what we value informs what we practice and how we live. Last week, we we talked a lot about vision and the importance of having clear vision for your life. But I will say this, if your values and your practices don't line up with what you believe and, and the vision God has given you, it's really hard for those things to lead you into the life that God has for you. Meaning, culture will always trump vision. What you practice, what you're caught up in, what you believe, what you embody, ultimately will trump any vision that God has ever given you for your life. A lot of people say, well, I've got these dreams for my life and God's given me these amazing visions and I have all these goals. But if you don't practice what you believe and put into motion what you believe, you'll never see the vision that God has for you. And so over the next seven weeks, we're going to talk about seven key principles or core values, if you want to call them, practices that we believe inform who we are as a courageous people living in the earth today. The truth is everything is pitted against you living a courageous life. The world, media, entertainment, it all thrives off of fear and greed. But we as the people of God are called to thrive in faith. We're called to be a people who are courageous in faith. And our desire is to create a culture where this can happen regularly. Throughout the series, we're going to actually jump around a little bit. And you'll notice there's seven key words that we're going to look at, seven key phrases that I believe inform who God has called us and is shaping us to be. Today, we're going to talk about the core value of prayer. And my first slide is this. Here's my key point. We believe God has called us to a courageous life that is passionate about prayer. We believe God has called us to be a people that are passionate about prayer. Last week, if you were here, I spoke a little bit about our desire to launch prayer gatherings in 2020. It was one of the five things that I spoke on that that God has given us to attend to as a church. And the truth is, we're going to do that. But our heart's desire is that we would come to see prayer more as a lifestyle and less than just an event. Okay? Nothing against events and conferences and concerts. But God wants you and I to get into a rhythm a lifestyle, a practice of daily prayer. This is what we believe. If we could foster this, if we could become people that are passionate about prayer, we'd see everything around us change for the better. I'm convinced we'd see our world change. We'd see our cities change. We'd see our families change. We'd see our nation change. Come on. God has called us to be a people that partner with him in what we pray. And prayer is this ongoing, beautiful, vibrant, lively conversation that we get to have with God, where we get to listen and speak, where we get to disclose the the mysteries and hidden things of our hearts to him, and where we get to also hear from him and be informed by him in such a way that is partnership. That's you and I coming together in a relationship. See, God doesn't just want to do things on the earth without you. God wants to do things on the earth with you. 
and through your prayers. And we're going to look at a couple different models of how we pray and how Jesus showed us how to pray and told us how to pray in just a moment. I believe God has called us to be a people that are passionate. And here's what I've come to learn about passion. The things that you're passionate about, you don't tend to get burned out doing, right? You don't tend to look at your clock or your watch while doing them. I love playing the guitar. When I play the guitar at home, sometimes I get lost. (laughs) I get lost in it. And my wife will have to come and wake me up and say, hey, hey, Earth to Jason. Earth to Jason, it's dinner time. Earth to Jason, it's time to go to bed. All right, the things that I love to do, and it's not just guitar, but maybe it's reading, maybe it's writing. Maybe for you, it's, it's, it's creating something in your garage or it's crafting things. What, whatever that thing is that you're passionate about, maybe it's none of those things, okay? But whatever it is that you are passionate about, it's easy to get lost in it. It's easy to not get burned out doing it because it nourishes you. It energizes you. And I've said this before in our growth track class, the things that you're passionate about are things that you'll never get burned out doing. You know what burnout comes from? Burnout comes from doing things that have no purpose and no passion. It's doing activity that's purposeless and passionless. But doing things that you're passionate about, things that have purpose, things that you love, you'll absolutely never, ever get burned out doing them. Why do I say this? I say this because for some of us, we look at prayer And prayer is like a hard thing. It's like a laborious thing. It's like a tedious, time-consumed. We look at it in such a way where we approach prayer as if it's hard to do. And the truth is that if we could get a glimpse, and in just a moment we're going to look at this, but if we could just get a glimpse of how God wants us to pray and why, we'd never approach prayer the same. And I'm convinced that as a church in 2020, that the majority of the things that God is calling us to be about as the people of God living in the earth today is going to require our prayers. It's going to require our partnership with heaven to accomplish the things that he's put in front of us to accomplish. And we we said we're going to baptize people. We're going to reach the lost. We're going to serve our city. We're going to pray. We're going to do alpha and community. We're going to do all these things, right? All these things that God has commissioned us and called us to do. But if we don't pray... It's all going to be for nothing. Because I believe that divinely, God wants to infuse himself through his spirit, through his DNA into our prayer life so that we can access his presence in such a way that when we pray, we see results. When we pray, we see things happen because we pray in the way that Jesus told us to pray. Because we're a people that are passionate, that grab a hold of things in prayer and won't let go, who are relentless, who are going to say, you know what, I don't care if it's one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning, God has given me a call and a commission to pray about this, and I'm not going to let go until I'm done. I'm not going to let go of him until I'm done. God wants us to be passionate. And here's what else I've come to discover about passion. The things that we're passionate about will endure pain for. So passion isn't just about what you love. It's also about what you're willing to suffer for. The actual root word for passion comes from the Latin word passio, which means to suffer. Did you know that? And so our passions are connected to things we love, but also things we're willing to suffer for. That's why we call Jesus' crucifixion the passion of the Christ, if you've heard that term or that terminology. We call his crucifixion, his, his death on the cross, the passion of the Christ, Because of the joy that was set before Jesus, Hebrews says, he was willing to endure, to suffer the cross, scorning its shame, Hebrews 12 says. Because of Jesus' great passion for you and for me, 
And for us as a church, he was willing to suffer and endure pain. That's how much he loves us. That's how much he's passionate for us. I believe it's because of this reason. Jesus calls us to follow in his example and his lead, to be passionate for the things that he's passionate for. Do you know what Jesus is absolutely passionate about doing right now? Hebrews 12 says that he did all of this, that he, he suffered the cross, he, he, he died and was raised, and then sat down at the right hand of the Father. I love this. He sat down at the right hand of the Father, and what is he doing right now? What is Jesus doing right now? Some of you are like, I don't know. <laughs> he is making intercession He's praying on behalf of you and I. Jesus is passionate about prayer. And because Jesus is passionate about prayer, I want to be passionate about prayer. doesn't matter if I'm, I'm good at it or not. And many, some of you are here today and you don't feel like you're good at prayer. Join the club. Some of you don't feel like you can offer eloquent words of speech. Story. You know what? God doesn't want that. He wants your heart. He wants your honesty. He wants your rawness. He wants your passion, the things that you're willing to suffer for and endure pain for. He wants all of that wrapped into your prayer life. And he's our model. And he's making intercession for us right now. Echoing Hebrews, Paul says this in Romans 8, 34. I think we have this on the screen. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. But more than that, who was raised, hallelujah, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. There it is. He's interceding. He's praying for us. How awesome is it that Jesus is praying for you? I just want to let that sink in a moment. I'm really glad that you're excited about it, Autumn. But I want you guys to let this sink in just a moment. Jesus is passionate about praying for you about making intercession for you. And so I believe this, if we as a church, as courageous people, are called to be imitators of Christ, if we're called to imitate Jesus, to follow his example and lead, to mirror him to our world, then we too, as the people of God, as the church, should be passionate about prayer and about making intercession on behalf of others. And we're going to do this this year, and that's why we're doing prayer gatherings, because we want to be able to throw wood on the fires of your prayer life, to come alongside you to help fuel what God wants to do through your prayers. That's a big reason why we pray, and it's why God has called us to be courageous people that are passionate about prayer. The next obvious question is, how do we do that then? How do we pray? How are we called to pray? Let's talk a little bit about God and how he wants us to pray. I want to look at a few different models of prayer that we believe in as a church. First, we know from Scripture that prayer is powerful and that God hears us when we pray. James 5.16 and the NLT says it this way. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power. And I want to emphasize that. We believe that our prayers are powerful. And guess what? If you're in Christ Jesus, you qualify for this reality. You may not feel very righteous, but if you have put your faith, hope, and trust in him, and you have received his gift of salvation, and you've been justified because of his righteousness, guess what? He now sees you as righteous. So guess what? As a result, vis-a-vis, your prayers are powerful. Take comfort in that church. 
own this. When you wake up in the morning, look in the mirror and say, today my prayers are gonna change the world. If you have lipstick, ladies, write it on the mirror. Say, I'm gonna change the world today with my prayer life. The earnest prayers, the sincerity of a righteous person, that's us. Those kinds of prayers, guys, have great power and they produce wonderful results. Not marginal results, not just okay. Wonderful, amazing Proverbs 15, 8 says it this way. The Lord detests the sacrifice of the wicked, but he delights in the prayers of the upright. There it is, just in a different context. God delights in your prayers. He loves them. It's a big reason why we're encouraged to pray, and it's a big reason why Jesus taught his disciples to actually pray all the time. Here's what Luke 18, verse 1 says. One day, Jesus told his disciples a story, a parable, to show them that they should always pray and never give up. Is that what it says? Sometimes, when you feel like it, when you had a good day, when you didn't burn the dinner, when your kids obeyed you when you wanted them to, always pray and never give up. Can I be honest? Can I be transparent just for a moment? I like to preach to myself, sometimes I give up. Sometimes I get tired and weary and I give up. Sometimes I don't even have the words. But you know what Jesus says? He says, always pray and never give up. Never give up. If we as a church could take ownership of this, to always pray and never give up, could you imagine what would happen in our lives? Could you imagine what would happen in our community? If we'd be a people just willing to press in and take Jesus at his word and say, Jesus, I don't always pray as I ought to. I don't always have the words, but you know what? I'm going to trust you and I'm not going to give up and I'm going to pray like there's no tomorrow. It means our prayer life is called to be relentless, church, meaning we don't stop. Paul echoes this in Ephesians 6 verse 18. Here's what it says. Pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. So, The Holy Spirit, knowing our hearts, knows that we'll look for an escape hatch. Well, when Jesus said, always pray, never give up, did he really mean to always pray and never give up? Or was he just being hyperbolic? Was he just exaggerating a story for effect? Well, Paul comes along and says, through the power of the Holy Spirit, guess what? Jesus was right. Pray in the Spirit. He actually elevates it at all times and on every occasion. So he gets rid of all of the escape hatches, all of the back door. He says, nope, on every occasion, at dinner, when you're shopping, when you're getting up, when you're showering, when you're driving, when you're working, when you're worshiping, when you're laughing, when you're crying, when you're fighting, pray at all times, on every occasion, and do so in the Spirit. Guys, the Spirit wants to help us. The Spirit was given to us as a helper. In a few weeks, we're going to do a series on the Holy Spirit. I'm so excited about it. And one of the things we're going to look at is how Jesus sent his Spirit, the Spirit of God, into the world after he departed so that we could have help, so that we could be empowered, so that we could be equipped and empowered to do this, to pray at all times. Because guess what? We can't do it on our own strength, guys. We're going to get tired, but the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. The Scripture says the Spirit is given to us to energize us, to to grab a hold of our hearts, to empower us to pray at all times, to be persistent in our prayers for believers everywhere. So he goes on to say, and don't just pray for yourself. Don't just pray in the Spirit. Don't just pray at all times on every occasion, but be alert and be persistent in your prayer for others. 
So we're called to be a people that pray and never give up, to be a people that pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion, and now we know to be persistent in the way that we pray for each other. And this is a big reason why we come together to gather, because I believe that we're not just called to do life apart, guys. We're called to do life together where we can pray for one another and be persistent in our prayers for believers everywhere, meaning we push through, we keep at it, we keep going until we find that breakthrough that God has for our lives. Paul also says it this way in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. He says, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. So we're called to pray all the time, in every occasion, in the power of the Spirit, to do so persistently for others, and while we're doing that, to have a thankful heart to be thankful people, to be devoted, full of thanks. Ultimately, God wants your life to radiate with thanks. We live in a culture that loves to complain. Can I get a witness? Oh, my dear Lord, if I have to scroll through another Facebook post of somebody ranting and complaining about something. You know what I did this year? And I, and I encourage you to do it. I hit the unfollow button on about 700 people. It was great. It was amazing. It was liberating. All of the complaints and the bitterness and the, I was like, you know what? I'm done with this. I didn't come on here to get your opinion anyways. All right, I've got the word of God. That's the only opinion that I really need, amen? I come on here to share my life, to see people's kids, to see my friends. I didn't come on here to receive all of your junk and your complaints and bitterness. But here's what I've come to realize. It's really easy to slip into that, isn't it? Even in our prayers sometimes, to give God complaints. You know, God, I just wish you would do this. Why haven't you done this? Come on, my kids complain to me all the time. I'm a good dad. I can handle it. God even more so, supremely so, eternally so. But I've discovered this key. And for my life and for my family's life, it's changed everything. When you pray, do so with a thankful heart. If you come before the Lord with thanksgiving, meaning that you're willing to look around and be grateful for what you have and for what God's given you, for all the things in your life that are gifts, and here's a little clue. If you're alive today and you're breathing, it's all a gift. It's all grace. And if we could live with that perspective and we could lean into that and pray with that, I believe it's not just gonna change things around us, it's gonna change us. Prayer changes everything, but most importantly, you. Prayer changes your heart. It changes you. And so when you adopt a posture of thanksgiving and thankfulness and you come before the Lord, I cannot pray without first saying, God, thank you. God, thank you for life. Thank you for breath. Thank you that we get to live in this amazing country where we can worship freely today. Right now in this moment, there are Christians in Iran that are hiding for fear of their lives. There are Christians in China and in other places around the world right now that can't do what I'm doing, all right? And they're standing in a place where they haven't been given that freedom and that opportunity. But you know what, guys? We've been given a tremendous opportunity and a tremendous responsibility to be a people that harness these freedoms and these liberties to be empowered so that we can pray for our country, for our leaders, for our people, for our families, for our city. But how often do we do that? I think a lot of our issues with our emotions and even our mental health stems from a place of not being able to see with the perspective of thanks. God, thank you. Thank you for this life. 
Thank you for these friends. Thank you for my wife. Thank you for my husband. Thank you for these gifts that you've given me. He wants you to become the kind of person that actually embodies things. Because the way we pray informs who we become. I really believe this. We also see this echoed in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6. It says, don't worry about anything. Come on, how many of you worry about things? Every hand should be up right now. <laughs> we all worry about stuff. But Paul, through Philippians, says, don't worry about anything. He didn't say don't worry about some things. He said, don't worry about anything. One translation says, don't be anxious for anything. Anybody ever suffer from anxiety? Why are you suffering from anxiety? God says, don't. So I can't help myself. Really? Do you have the spirit of God in you? Then if he's given you his spirit, he empowers you to do what the word demands of you. We can't do it without the spirit, guys. That's why we need the spirit to pray. And he says, don't be anxious. Don't worry about anything. Instead, here's what I want you to do. Pray about everything. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and then thank him. There it is again for all he's done. What if you and I just stopped in the middle of whatever it is that we we're going through and just said, you know what, God, tomorrow's a big day and I'm kind of freaking out over here, but I'm not gonna get anxious about anything and I'm not gonna worry about anything because you're with me and you're for me and you said that I could tell you whatever it is I'm going through and that you would help me in my weakness to pray about everything. God, I need your help. I need your strength. I need your wisdom. I need your counsel. God, I need you. What if we just stopped and said, you know what? Let's pray about this. We give so much lip service to things that haunt us, to the specters and phantoms in our life, to the other influences around us before we've ever gone to our knees to pray. That's why we're encouraged and commanded to pray about everything. We pray about everything. We tell God what we need and we thank him for what he's done. Listen to what James chapter five, verse 13 says. It says, are any of you suffering hardships? And I want us to ask ourselves that question today. Are any of you suffering hardship, difficulty, trials, persecution? You should pray. It's amazing to me how simple God wants it to be for us. So we're called to pray in these ways, but we're also called to pray for others. The first half of James 5.16 says this, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So that you may be healed. As the people of God, we're called to pray for each other. And this is huge. When we come together on Sundays and throughout the week as the church, one of our top priorities in addition to worship is prayer and specifically praying for each other. That's why at the start of every service, we make that call and that invitation. And that's why at the end, we always make that call and that invitation for you to receive prayer because we are not just a church that prays, we're a praying church. We believe that our greatest calling, one of our greatest callings is to pray for other people. Scriptures remind us here that when we confess our sins, not to God, that's not what it says, but rather to each other, huge emphasis there. And when we pray for one another, it's so that we can receive healing. Are any of you sick? Then let's pray. Sometimes the stuff that we're dealing with is because of unconfessed sin. Because when we confess, when we open up the door and bring what's in the shadows into the light, there it is, we can be healed. 
I really believe that God wants to heal people. And I believe this is one of the ways that he really wants to do it. Through you and I coming into a relationship with other people where we pray for each other, where we confess the stuff that's been entangling us. Sometimes you need the help of another person to get you out of the snare that you're in. Come on, sometimes when you're trapped, you can't get out of that trap by yourself. If I walk out in those woods and I step into a bear trap, I don't have the strength to pull that open by myself. I'm gonna need assistance. And that's really what James is saying here, that as you confess, you're, you're inviting somebody else in to help you get out of the trap so that you can be liberated and experience healing. The goodness of God to pour out his healing in and through your life. We see this also echoed in Paul's writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1-2. through 2. He says this, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. There it is again. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. It's amazing we keep seeing the same pattern, guys. The same themes. Pray always. Pray for all people. Intercede on their behalf and give thanks. There it is. And to pray this way for kings and all who are in authority. Now we're digging into the hard stuff because we have our politics and our tribes and our clubs and our associations, and we don't want to pray for people that we disagree with. But this is what God has commanded us to be about as a people, to pray for kings and people who are in authority. You know, I don't see a lot of wiggle room there. It says all who are in authority. So whether your president that you like is elected this year or not, you're still supposed to pray for those who are in authority. Paul is writing this to Timothy in a time where kings and rulers were ruthless tyrants, where emperors did detestable and disgusting things to people. The reality is, is if Paul, in that day and age, where Christians were thrown to lions and shoved on poles to lamp their orgy parties, could say, pray for those in authority, what's your problem? well, I don't really like that particular person. I don't like that party. I knew I was gonna dig into some wounds today. <laughs> Hear my shepherd's heart for you. God knows that if you begin to pray for people, even the ones you don't like, your heart will change toward them. I believe that we are called to be a people in unity and love. And how do we express that? Here's how, through prayer. We get to join in what Jesus is doing. I can't emphasize that enough. Prayer as partnership with Jesus. That's why we're called to be passionate about it, guys. I hope you hear my heart in that. We get to join Jesus in his intercessory ministry before God of standing in the gap on behalf of others, on behalf of our families and our friends and our coworkers, on behalf of our city. This is so crucial. Jesus wants us to become the kinds of people that know how to stand in the gap for others. As parents, we're called to pray this way for our kids. Okay, I lift up my children in prayer. I intercede on their behalf. As leaders, we're called to pray this way on behalf of those we lead. I pray and Candace prays for you every week. We lift you up before the throne of God because you matter to him and you matter to us. And please don't miss this. We're called to pray this way on behalf of those who lead us. Lastly, how do we pray? Really, when it all boils down to it. We pray for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done, just as Jesus teaches us in Luke chapter 11, verse two. Here's what it says. And Jesus said to them, the disciples, the church, when you pray, say this, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. 
Jesus taught when you pray, not if you pray. When you pray, the impetus is that we're supposed to pray, and he believes that we're going to be praying, and we already know that from the scriptures. So when you pray, pray this way. Father, Jesus wants you to know God as a father. He wants you to know him intimately, not just as almighty God, not just as everlasting king and Lord, although those things will always be true. But Jesus came to reveal the heart of the Father. He came so that you and I could have intimacy with the Father. He wants you to know him as a father, and he loves you as a father. And then he says, hallowed be your name. Jesus wants you to know that he's your father, but also that he's holy, that he's hallowed, that he's sacred, and that you would approach him as father, but in holiness, with reverence and awe, because he is holy. And then Jesus says, your kingdom come. He wants you to pray that the Father's kingdom, which is where his dynamic rule and reign is always being done, and that it would be poured out on the earth as it already is in heaven. This is how we pray. And I'll say this as we prepare to close. It's not just the words that we offer. It's a model for your heart in desiring God's kingdom to come. To be the kinds of people that walk through the earth with such a passion, with such a fervency, with such a devotion for his kingdom. God, would you, would you let your kingdom come? My heart's desire, and we pray this way even when we worship and when we, we kick off our service, God, would you come? Would your will be done in this place as it already is in heaven? Lord, would your will be done in Salt Lake City as it already is in heaven? God, would your will be done in Holiday and West Jordan and Cottonwood Heights and Sandy and West Valley and Layton and to the ends of the earth as it already is in heaven? God, would your kingdom come? That's the desire of our heart, and that's why we passionately pray, because Jesus passionately prays. And he said, this is how I want you guys to do it. This is the model. This is how you, this is how you approach God. He's your Father, and he's holy, and he wants to pour out his kingdom upon the earth. So, Jesus, you're telling me that you actually want to involve me and include me through prayer and God doing that in the earth? Yes, He's waiting for you to pray this way so that he can release heaven on earth, so that he can release his kingdom on earth. Will God's will eventually be done? 100%. He is sovereign. But as a good sovereign king and father, he wants to include his children. He wants to include his kids. And that's you and I. You've been given power to become the children of God, the sons and daughters of the king. And as a son and daughter, as a royal heir, he says, I want to rule and reign through you. That's essentially what happened in the garden. He gives Adam and Eve dominion over the earth. Dominion is where the king has domain. It's the domain of the king. And he says, I've given it to you. And I want to rule and reign through your life. And guess what? I'm going to use your prayers to accomplish what I want to do on earth. How amazing, how mind-boggling that God would use your prayer life, church, to change the world. And that's why when you get up in the morning... As I said in the beginning, I want you to say today, my prayers are going to change the world. And as you press in and you pray this way, you'll see it happen. Thank you for listening today. To find out more information about our church, including ways you can give, please visit us at CourageousChurch.com.